0: here and uh, we we are walking through uh, the uh, first book of Peter and uh, I talked about that last week and uh, a little bit little bit different tone than Paul but talking about the same Jesus amen how many know that Jesus is the same yesterday today and what forever and so I, I love that and uh, the the theme of this book if you could sum it up in one word, is hope. Everyone say hope. Hope is the expectation of coming good. How many have hope in the Lord? How many know that we have hope beyond this life? Amen. And as a believer, uh, the one thing that, that I can, uh, you know, just take take a, a strength in in my life and what keeps a smile on my face is the fact that Jesus Christ has me in the palm of his hand, and I have a hope. Amen? And so I kind of left you guys with a cliffhanger last last week. I was talking about uh, four four things that Peter was talking about, and I didn't want to leave you guys hanging there just too long. So if you go back, we're going to be in chapter 2, but we're going to go back to chapter 1, verse 22, where I left off. And, the, and basically the heading for this was a, a call to be holy, and um, verse 22 is where I'm going to start tonight. I don't even know if I told Tristan that, uh, but she is going to get that up there because she's awesome. Amen? <laughs> so chapter 1, verse 22, and uh, she's working diligently back there. I, I forgot to tell her, so you can blame that one on me so um if you have it on your on your Bible, I'll just go ahead and get going here it says it says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, everyone say brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How many want to be loved from a pure heart How many know that you can tell when someone loves you from a genuine place there's a it's not just lip service so and so Peter here, and just to kind of reiterate, kind of what I talked about right at the end, Peter doesn't say we purify our own souls, but we accomplish the purification by the obedience to God's truth. How we know that when we're obedient to God, He will lead and guide us. Amen. So, and you remember the theme here is in this book, Peter's talking because he he knows persecution's coming to the early church, and so he's getting he's getting them ready. Getting them uh uh you know uh, just get ready for the jolt it's coming it's coming guys persecution's coming so so he's saying this when persecution comes down, when things get tough, how many could say uh, sometimes life gets tough and throws a curveball at you every once in a while, right that's just the way it is, uh, and so peter says he says this, he says you know don't don't point to others and say. Why aren't you going through this very thing like me? How many have ever done that? You looked at someone else and said, how come they don't have to go through this, but I have to go through this? I've been there. I, I've done that. Uh, or or how come they've got it made in the shade over there, and I'm over here laboring and struggling and, and, and you know. Uh, but here's the thing. The key to this, and, and he says this, is to love one another fervently. I said this last week. Adversity, adversity can bring about unity or animosity. In the body of Christ, adversity can bring about unity or animosity. The choice is ours. And if you're in uh, a situation uh, where there's adversity and you find yourself in animosity, you might want to just check yourself. Uh, look at this. I'll show you something here. Um, how many remember James? He was executed by by Herod, uh, and he was killed By the sword long ways. So basically they just cut him in half. How many know that's a brutal way to die? And what happened there, the adversity was happening. And what happened there, Herod saw, hey, this thing killing James made uh, this group of people who wanted to persecute the Christians happy. So Herod's like, okay, I see what that did. That will bring some popularity my way. And then he finds himself, Herod, how many remember the story where, where Peter was arrested? And there was adversity in the early church. And so Peter was arrested. And what did the church, they learned something about James, what happened with James. They began to lift up Peter. They began to pray for him while he was in jail. How many remember that story? And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they heard a knock on the door. And they opened the door. And guess what? Peter was there. How many know that God can change your situation? Amen. So... That tells me, listen, that little story tells me right there, there is power in prayer and unity in prayer. When we're specific and we pray in unity and say, hey, God, have your way. God, do what only you can do. Lord, you can do the miraculous when we're connected. But if there's animosity and we're all just praying random things, you know, sometimes that can cause problems. So adversity caused the church to come together. How many knows that? That adversity will make make a family. Oh, here's a good example. If someone dies in a family, I've seen this. I've done so many funerals. It usually brings the best out of people or the worst out of people. Amen? Brothers fight brothers. Sisters fight brothers. Cousins fight, you know, whoever, you know, aunts fight cousins or whatever the case. And, And I've seen it time and time again. And here's the thing. Adversity can bring unity or animosity. So so, um, so Peter's saying this. They're going to persecute you, and and you remember Jesus? He told he told Peter this. He said, "Hey, they're going to stretch out your arms, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go." How many remember the way that Peter died? He's crucified upside down, and they took him where he didn't want to go. And you remember Peter's response? I talked about this at the end of John. There, he looked and he pointed to John and said, "Hey, what about this guy, though?" After, after Jesus told him, hey, you're, they're going to lead you and they're going to take you where you want. Peter's concern was worried about John. He's like, hey, wh- what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? He wants to hear, hey, he wants to know that John is going to have to go through the same adversity that Peter's going to have to go through. How many, how many uh, deep down inside in your heart sometimes you're like, man, I, I'm glad that they're going through that because I'm going through that, right? But it's funny here because Jesus looks at him and says, hey, hey, don't worry about what happens with John. Peter. You Keep your eyes on me and follow me and I'll lead and guide you so look at this verse 23 says this since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God so knowing because of his own experience Peter Peter knew that trials could create animosity towards others he gives us four reasons why we are to love one another this is where I left you guys last week we are to love one another in unity. Everyone look across the room. You're supposed to love that person that you're looking at across the room. Well, all, everyone's looking at me right now. Praise God. I, you got to love me. But we are to love each other in unity. Here's, here's point one right here. Number one, we are family. Number one, we are family. That verse says, since you have been born again. How many are born again? Because of the blood of Jesus, we are family. We are family, right? Because of the blood of Jesus, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Not of something that this earth can give you, but through the living and abiding word of God. Man, I don't know about you. We say things like this all the time. Family first, right? We hear that all the time, family first or family over everything. I've heard people say those things. But the truth is, in a spiritual sense, we don't always act that way. Right? If we are family, we ought to love each other, give each other grace. How many have gotten in some good fights with your siblings growing up? How many have gotten in some fist fights or some screaming matches and... And whatnot. You know, one thing I've learned about family is this you know exactly how to make each other mad. You know exactly what buttons to push. You know, it's kind of like my mom. She would say, Don't push my buttons. And I would go, boop, 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 right? And I'd get in trouble. But here's the thing you know, uh, you know, the thing about our family is sometimes when adversity comes, it'll bring the best out of our family. Or it can bring the worst out of our family. And I don't know about you, uh, you know, I, I know that family can frustrate us, they can make us mad um, uh, because they know us best and they know us the worst. Amen. Sometimes that's worse. Uh, me and my brother, me and my older brother, he's been here and, and spoke a few times. Uh, w- growing up, we fought. We fought and we Fought and we argued because we were too much alike. How many know? Sometimes the siblings you're you're more alike than you realize. And my mom would be like, "You guys are too much alike." I'd be like, "No way! I'm like that guy. I'm much better than him. I'm much better looking than him, or whatever the case." And so, but but we you know we, we're different. We're different people. Uh, we have different styles. We have different uh, you know leadership styles. Uh, me and him, me and my brother, we don't like the same foods at times. Come on. And we don't always agree um, on the same way of doing things. Amen. Some of you need to look over at your spouse. Sometimes we don't agree on doing, the same, doing, doing something the same way. But, but here's the deal. This is what I have learned. So you start talking about my brother, I'm going to come to his defense. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get to talk about him. Now, we've got some history, but you don't get to talk about him. That's the way it works. And I don't care how mad he's made me. Guess what? I'm going to defend him. And I think spiritually, sometimes in the church, we're not very good at that. And Maybe because someone's hurt us or someone has, has let us down at times, um, we say, ah, you know what? Just let him talk. Let him do this. But, but here's the thing. I love my brother, and he is my brother. And, and, you know, here's the thing. I love my brothers and my sisters that are here tonight. You know, you're all my brothers and sisters. We're from the same imperishable seed, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. Guess what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You might as well just get used to it. I always say it around here. Hey, we're one big family. Hey, you know what? Some of you are looking over and saying, man, I, I don't know. My brother could look a little bit better tonight, you know, or whatever the case. But here's the thing. We all come from what Christ has done for, for, for us. And so what the price that he paid on Calvary, we're... We're adopted. He has bought us with a price. Amen. And I say this, hey, I've got to fight to keep unity amongst my family. Amen. All right. You guys receiving that tonight? So why? Because, uh, you know, here's the reason why I have to fight to keep unity is because I may not always agree with everyone, but this is what I know. I can do more by getting in line with the body of Christ than I can out on my own. Right? You know, uh, a river is, is very strong, but a river is stronger than a stream that just bounces off by itself. The river keeps the flow going. So I don't know about you. I want to stay right in the river of what the Holy Spirit's doing, and I want to stay in unity. Verse 24 says this. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. We're seeing that right now, right? So do the leaves. Amen? Amen. Can I get an amen? All right. But I like this part. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Everyone say forever. That means forever. (laughs) And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So uh, in the 90s, there's this this country singer named Trace Atkins. And he had this 90s hit country song called Time Marches On. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm going to pray for you guys that know that song. I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm just kidding. But he sang this song and it was a it was a it was a uh, Billboard's top hit and and the song basically says this time marches on and things change. And the older I get the more I realize that, right? Uh, the other day we we yesterday we went and voted and Zaley voted and I was like there's no way that my daughter is old enough to vote. It kind of blew my mind that we were there and so I but how many know that that time changes. But here's the thing about that song. And that doesn't take into account. Everything changes except the Lord and his word. They don't change. They don't change. They remain. So uh, and so it's still true. The word of God is still relevant. It's still the number one selling book of all time. Amen. It still has power to change my heart, your heart, my mind, your mind. If we just open it up, we begin to read it, we begin to soak it in. Amen. And so I tell you what, I I will say this. The Bible will keep a family together in love and in unity if we let it. And that includes us right here. So here we go, uh, uh, chapter 2. And if you need a heading here, it's um, a living stone and a holy place. If you're taking notes, a living stone and a holy place. And really, the first part of this chapter actually goes more with the 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 end of, of chapter one, but it says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Everyone, look at your neighbor. Say, grow up. If indeed you have tested that the uh, tasted that the Lord is good. So. So, so Peter closed the first chapter of this epistle by saying, hey, we should love one another fervently because we're members of the same family, all right? We're members of the same family. So, And here's the thing. Just as we are, are conceived of, uh, incorruptible, of the incorruptible seed or the word of God as newborn babes, we're able to continue in the word of God. Um, if you're a parent. Or have been, you know, here's what we know for all the people. How many have raised a young child? All right. How many know that when a baby is craving to eat, it does not mind what time of the day it is or what, if it's the middle of the night, it's going to let you know, right? It craves milk. In the middle of the night, they want milk. They cry. Uh, You know, I remember when our kids were young, they would whimper at night. And I I could sleep through anything. I could sleep through a nuclear holocaust, I promise. And but but my wife man, my wife is a light sleeper when it comes to the kids, because the kids could whimper and she'd be like, What well, what's going on with the kids? And I'd be like, What are you talking about? I have no idea. I did not hear anything whatsoever. And she would she could hear those babies. She would wake up in the middle of the night and, and that motherly instinct would kick in and she'd go check on those babies or wake me up or tell me to go check on those babies. And, and she would do that tirelessly, so some, some of your moms know what I'm talking about, and you're like, "Man, thank goodness that part of my life is over, right?" And some of you say, "Hey, I miss it." Um, but, but Peter says this: we are to be the same way. We've got to be like these, these like the babies here, newborn babies. Uh, we just got to want more and more and more and more the milk of the word how many knows that if you hey, listen if you will feast on this book it will change you it will change you right read your Bible pray every day and you'll grow 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 right neglect your Bible forget to pray and you'll shrink 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 some of my old 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 children's church people know what I'm talking about But here's the thing. If we are in the word together, here's what happens. The result will be unity. So that's what the word of God does. It changes us. It brings us together. If you don't believe me, look at this. I want you to look look in this room tonight. There's a lot of diversity in this room tonight. If you have blue eyes, raise your hands. If you have brown eyes, raise your hand. If you have uh, if you're follically impaired on top of your head, raise your hand. All right. If you're not, raise your hand. Right? Uh man. If you like football, raise your hand. If you don't like fo if you like Chevrolets, raise your hand. Lord, I pray for all you know. <laughs> We're a room full of diversity, but here's the thing. We all came here for one reason tonight. You know what it was? To feast on this word. That's why you're here tonight. I know you didn't come to see me, but we came to feast on this word. And so there's, there's unity in this. This word brings us together. There's different backgrounds. There's people of different political inclinations. There's different ideals, different philosophies in here. However, we're all knit together for one reason right here tonight is to study and to take this word in and say, Lord, let this word change my heart. So um, it's why we are to lay aside. Um, Slow burning anger and malice towards each other or trickery or hypocrisy or envy and slander. I'm not going to talk about my brother. I'm not going to say bad things about them because you know what? I need to keep unity in the body of Christ. So and here's the thing. There's a reason that there's a lack of desire for the word in most believers lives is this because they're being filled by something else. You ever struggle with reading the word of God? I'd rather be doing this, or I'd rather be doing this, or I, I. it's easier to watch a movie. How many know it's so much easier to watch a movie than it is to pick this book up and read it? It's a lot easier sometimes to read another book than to read this book. Most of you say, hey, I like to read the Bible when I can't sleep because I go to sleep pretty fast, right? That's what my mom would say. I'd be like, I can't sleep. She'd say, read your Bible then. Oh, I don't want to read my Bible. But here's the thing, you know. A lot of us are struggling, and we lose that hunger for the word of God because we're filling up with other things. I'll give you an example. If, if Tristan was to make a beautiful dinner, and I was working here at the church, and I leave here, and I'm going home, and I decide, hey, I'm going to go buy Taco Bell, and I'm going to get me two soft tacos, and I'm going to get me a, a, a bean burrito. Why in the world I would do that, I don't know. But I'm going to go by there, and I'm going to get me some food and and then I get home, and Tristan has made this beautiful meal. And she says, hey, it is time to eat and feast on this meal. And I show up, and I'm like, you know what? I don't really want that. Here's the thing. I've settled for something that is less than what's best. I'm not knocking Taco Bell here. Maybe I am a little bit. But I'd much rather eat what my wife's throwing down than what Taco Bell's throwing <laughs> in a microwave. <laughs> And that's what happens with us. How often do we fill ourselves up with junk, the junk food of this world, instead of eating out of a balanced book that can change us, that can bring unity in our families, that can be life-giving, that can give us the nutrients that our spirit needs and that our physical body needs. Amen? And so that's why Peter says this, lay aside all that junk. And then you'll desire the milk of the word. Verse 4 says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones. So we're not only children of the same family, but we're stones in the same building. All right? We're stones in the same building. Number two, we are stones. We are living stones. All right? I'm not talking about the rolling stones. All right? We are living stones. All right? So the church, I got news for you. The church is not this carpet. The church is not this sheetrock. The church is not the rafters in here. This is a beautiful facility. This is a building. Did you know this is a building right here? All right. You know what the church is? Raise your hand. You're the church. You know what? We always say, hey, we're glad you came to church. Really, you brought church with you. That's, that's the truth of it. And, and the church is those that occupy these seats. That's what the church is. That's what the church is. Uh, I don't know about you. I love to come to church. And I think this, our sanctuary is a beautiful place. I think this is a great place. And I, I look at our property and I look at it and I say, man, this is pleasant to look at. And I love the feeling of being at church. How many love the feeling of being at church? You know what? you ought to come here in the middle of the day when no one's here. It's it's got a, a different feel. You know why? Because you guys aren't here. The church is is about you. So, uh, you know, in my in my life, serving in various roles in church, I often have have been the the person that gets to lock up the church, and when when everyone leaves, and uh, some of my you know. <laughs> Micah can understand this. She was a PK. Uh, sometimes you're the last to leave, you know, no matter what. And, and um, you know, locking up over time And when I was associate pastor or youth pastor and everyone would leave. And after we had had a good service, there was something interesting when I would go around and make sure all the lights were shut off. And it's interesting, the presence of God after we've had a move of God in this place. And I come into the sanctuary after everyone's gone. Man, I can just feel this resting of the Holy Spirit in here. Not because of the building, but because you brought it with you. It's amazing to me, and so uh, and I love that. So uh, the next part of this says, "Are being built up as spiritual house." So we're living stones; we're being built up as spiritual house. You didn't know that you were a house, right? We're living stones who are being built up or fit together as spiritual house. Um, and, and when I think about that, that brings a, a scripture to mind in First Kings chapter six. Verse 7, it says this. This is interesting. When the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry. How many know we got quarries around here, left, right, all around us, right? So that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. So to give you a reference of what's happening in this a little bit of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 6. When Solomon's temple was being constructed, all of the chiseling, all of the hammering, all of the cutting, all of the chipping was done underneath the old city of Jerusalem. It was not done on the on the temple mount. So when the stones were taken up to the temple mount, you know what? They could be fit together in silence. It's pretty amazing. Think about it. They, they already knew they, that, you know, they were going to be... So they are living stones being fit together for, uh, we are living stones being fit together for an eternal temple in heaven. You know what happens when I get to heaven? All my rough edges are going to be gone. This is going to be down. This will be full. Amen. My attitude will be made right. I love that. So and um, so here we are. Imagine our lifetime. In our lifetime, imagine you're in this process, and God is working on you, and he's chiseling on you right now, and you are in the quarry. God's saying, I'm going to get this knocked off of you. How many need a little bit of knocking, some stuff knocked off of you from time to time, right? So we're living stones being fit together for an eternal temple in heaven. So here, here's the deal. Um, I said this, that, uh, that life is like a quarry, which explains why we feel like we're being chipped on and hammered on and chiseled on at times. God, this hurts. Why do I have to go through this process? Um, some of you may say this. You may look over at your spouse and say, why am I married to this blockhead? Or why Why do I have to put up with this job? Or why are they part of my family? Some of you don't raise your hand that, All right. all right? You know why? We're living stones? And here's what happens. Living stones are constantly rubbing on each other and and knocking the rough edges off of each other. You say, Oh man, sometimes some people just bug me and they have rough edges. And here's the thing, man, I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I pray to God that this person does not listen to our podcast, but there was a person who served and, and I kid you not. I kid you not, I did not understand why they wanted to serve because I thought this person is out to get me. You know, no matter what decision I made, everything was questioned. And I was just like, stop with this, you know. And I was like, man, this person, it really bugs me no matter what. No matter what decision I made, there was always a question behind why we made this decision. I was like, man, this is tough. But this is what I've learned, God puts those people in your life sometimes to smooth some things out. God was working patience within me. He was smoothing some rough edges out in me. So that maybe and when I got to this point in my life, when things would happen, I'd be like, "You know what? That's okay, God. We're going to we're going to work these rough edges out. We're going to get past this." Well, you might say this. I I don't like them or they're too rough or they're too honest or they're too sweet. Uh but how many know that God will put, put a sweet person uh, uh, next to a rough person sometimes to knock some edges off of them? They're just too nice. Well, maybe you're too mean. I don't know. Here's the thing. This is what I've learned. We're being perfected here in this life. Every day I get up. Every day I read this word. Every day I pray. Every day I walk this thing out. I'm walking this thing out, and God is perfecting me. And he's making me better than I was the day before. I, at least I pray he is. And he's sending some people sometimes to smooth some edges within me. And sometimes it's like, God, why is this person next to me right now? Why am I struggling with this? See, see God knows this, that, that, that in this, when he's building this house and he's setting living stones down and they're, they're next to each other, that it, it, he is shaping us and he is building his kingdom and here's what happens. This is what I do. When God puts someone like that around me, here's what I know. My tendency is, God, I don't like this, this rubbing on me. I don't like this. This is frustrating. So you know what I do? I try to fix God's fix. How many of you have ever tried to fix God's fix? And God's fixing me. And God's making me. And then what happens is then I try to fix God's fix, and then God fixes my fix of his fix, and then I try to fix, right, and the process goes on and on and on and on. And then I'm like, God, I am so tired. And God's like, oh, I'll just put another person next to you. Here you go. And eventually I get to this place where I'm like, I'm tired of trying to fix God's fix, and he's being so patient and putting his fix for my fix, and it just goes on and on and on. And then eventually what happens is I get tired, and I'm like, God, I am so tired of doing this, and God's like, Exactly, that's what I wanted from you. I wanted you to just accept this and just grow. And, you know, here's what I've learned. Uh, Most of us, if we will pray this when we're going through a trial, God, what are you trying to teach me? God will reveal some things to you. Rather than trying to fight it or fix it or do it on your own, just say, God, what is it in this moment that you are trying to teach me? And help me to learn it fast. That's what I pray when I go through something. God, help me to learn this test fast. Help me to get through this test fast. I'm like the mad minute in elementary school. I'm like, what, 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 what? I can finish this thing before it's all done. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't have no clue what I'm talking about. But amen. Everyone say he's shaping you for eternity. All right. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptance to acceptance to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Amen. Everyone say amen. A cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. Everyone say who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone is that is that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So he speaks of this stone being rejected in verses 6 through 8. It's an interesting point. Um, According to tradition, when they were building Solomon's temple, work went smoothly until the builders were unable to locate the cornerstone. How many know that the cornerstone was the stone that they would set first and they would uh, a look, and that from that stone, everything would be square from that point in all directions, and it was the the, the cornerstone. How we know that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone? Amen. He is the cornerstone. That that's it. I, I love that our church is called Cornerstone because it's all about Him and everything we do should flow from what he is lord let let us be an example because you are an example so so but what happened in this process um they they lost the cornerstone and 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 word was sent that the that the stone was missing on the temple mountain they said that um that they hadn't, they went back to the poor and said they hadn't seen the stone for a long time. And the builders were confused until one of them remembered a perfectly cut stone being tossed over into the goalie, into the Kidron Valley, because no one knew what to do with it. So let's look at this. So we look at Scripture. We talk about a rejected cornerstone. How many know that that is Jesus Christ? And here's the thing. Jesus will either be the cornerstone that is the example of your life, or he'll be a stumbling block. So check this out. If you go to Isaiah 28, and verse 16 through 18, it says this. Therefore, thus, okay, this is the Old Testament pointing, looking forward. Look at this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion. Hey, there it is again. A stone tested, a, a stone, uh, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Verse 17, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. The cornerstone is the plumb line. This is what keeps me straight and walking right. Uh, And and hell will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters uh, will overwhelm the shelter. Verse 18, then your covenant with death will be annulled. How many know, the, the, how many know that, that Jesus beat death on the cross in the grave? He was in the grave and he was resurrected. He beat it. So uh, the, the covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When, when the overwhelming scourges passes through, you will be beaten down by it. Look at this, verse: uh, Psalm 118.22 says this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. How many know that we're talking about Jesus. So this is the Old Testament looking forward. Look at this, Acts chapter 4, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is saved the cornerstone. And here's the thing. In that time frame, listen, people saw who Jesus was, but the Jewish people did not see who Jesus was. And that was the stone that they rejected. He's not our Messiah. He doesn't have armies following. He doesn't have any political clout. He doesn't do these things. He's not who we say. is. And, and, and in our lives, how many know that That Jesus, it really, if you think about it, the the cornerstone, when you put Jesus as the cornerstone and you plumb your life, I'm a living stone. Hey, listen, I'm going to be straight with what Jesus is doing. I'm going to keep this plumb line straight. And here's what happens. When we make Jesus the cornerstone and we keep him the main thing, amen. I love that statement. Keep Jesus the main thing in your life. And, And you know what? That's what happens. So sometimes trials come, right? And rough stones are placed next to us. or They're placed on top of us. Some of you say this. You know, it was a mistake to marry that person. Or you might say this. I can't figure them out. This is unworkable. Let's, let's, just, let's just quit. You know, the same thing happened to Jesus. They, they couldn't figure him out. So what did they do with him? They rejected him. How can this carpenter from Nazareth be the Messiah? He has no armies. He, 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 he has no credentials. Let's get rid of him, they say. And here's what we know is the Jews missed him even though he was in plain sight. And listen, as a believer, I don't want to miss Jesus. Amen. I say, hey, Lord, keep my heart pure. Keep my mind right. And we have to be a people who refuse to, to dump people in different situations. There's times where we may want to give up on people and say, you know what? I'd like to throw you over into the Kidron Valley right now. Amen. Anybody ever been there? But here's the thing, we have to see the best in people and at times. Look at this, verse 9 says this. I like this one. But you are a uh, a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I, another translation, King James Version says, you are a, a chosen generation. I love this. this is, I, we used to sing this song gr- growing up that, that had this line in it. And I loved it. I loved it. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Woo! Do you know that's talking about you, it's talking about you, look at this, so we're not only children of the same family and stones of the same building, but we are priests in the same temple everyone's everyone look at your look at your neighbor and say you didn't know you were a priest, did you? all right we are priests, so what was the job of the priest was to offer sacrifices for the people you know um I mean there's a whole study that I could do just on this alone, but i won't I won't get into that very deep tonight but you know, as priest or people of God, we sacrifice things. We sacrifice ourselves at times, right? We sacrifice stuff. We sacrifice by doing services and things for people. We sacrifice by singing to the Lord. Sometimes we come in here and we don't feel like worshiping God. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise, right? I'm tired. I really don't feel like Oh, man, pastor's going to make me lift my hands again. Do like this, you know. Rest my hands. Sacrifice. This verse shows the contrast of the verse before, and it, the contrast is this: those who believe in Christ and those who do not. Those who believe in Christ, guess what? You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. That's what it says. And priests, they offered sacrifices and they lived a set apart life. And they, and here's what you know. If they had any kind of sin in their life, they could not go into the Holy of Holies because if they were to go into the Holy of Holies, you know this from the learning of the tabernacle, and they had any kind of sin in their life, they would drop dead in the presence of God. Some, it's amazing, and that matter of fact, their their priestly robes they had they had a pomegranate and then they had a bell. They had a pomegranate, they had a bell all the way wrapped around them. You know why they wore that? So when they went into the Holy of holies, they could hear, and they had something tied to their waist so they could hear and go, "Oh, he's still alive, he's still moving." And then if it stopped moving, then they would drag them back with this rope because they had something unclean in their life. How many? Are so grateful that Jesus Christ did what He did on Calvary that we can now approach the throne room of heaven amen as as priests and say hey God I, I can I can approach you hebrews 4, uh, 14 and sixteen says this seeing that when we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, verse fifteen for we do not uh, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. How many know that Jesus lived a perfect life? Verse 16 says this, let us therefore, now I like this, come boldly to the throne of grace that we have, may obtain mercy and find grace to help time, help in the time of need. You know what that tells me? That as a as a, as a a child of God, here's what I know. I can come any moment before the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need to, I need you to move on my behalf in my situation. And because of Jesus Christ, we have access to God. Unlike those in the in the Old Testament, they had this process. And many of you know the veil was was ripped when Jesus died on the cross between the holy of holies, and God said, "Hey, come freely now. Come freely into my presence." Hebrews 13:15 says this. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledges his name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for getting me up today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord. You are an awesome God. I love that. So one of the easiest ways that we can give a sacrifice to the Lord is through our praise and worship. Next part says this, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. How many could say God called you out of darkness? Not only did he call you out of darkness, but he called you what? Into marvelous light. It's not enough that he pulled me out of darkness, but he put me into marvelous light. So verse 10 says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So not only are we from the same family, everyone say we're family. We're stones fit together and we're priests in the same temple, but we are also citizens of the same nation. I know we're literally here and spiritually here, all right, all right, in our case tonight. So here's number four. We are citizens. Everyone say we are citizens. Here's what I know. This world looks at Christians, and they have an obscure look when they look at Christians across this world and go, why do you guys believe the way that you do? Why do you act the way that you act? You know, why are you guys so peculiar? And here's the thing. Yesterday I voted. And I pray that you did, too. Yesterday I voted, and I'm a citizen of the United States, and I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States. Amen? How many are grateful that you live in a free nation? Amen? And she ain't perfect, but I love her anyways, right? And, 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 and so here's what I know, uh, you know, and I'm proud, but here's what I know about this nation. This nation is a temporal thing. Because one day... I'm going to pass away, and it doesn't matter if I'm an American citizen at that point. It doesn't. When I became a child of God, I became a, a citizen of something eternal, something that lives beyond this soil but up in heaven. So, and here's the thing. The, this world, they don't understand that. They don't understand us Christians. You know, um, we as believers are a group of people who are set apart for who God uses. We're set apart. We're different. We're supposed to be different than the world, not assimilating like the world, but like called out, right? Called into to the light, not in the darkness, not operating in the darkness, but called into light. And the world doesn't understand Christians. Why are you guys so narrow-minded? Why are you, why are you grounded in God's words? Why don't you let society decide what your feelings are? Come on, somebody, Right? You know, what do you mean speaking this truth? How can you speak truth? That's not my truth. Well, I don't matter what your truth is. I believe in this truth right here, and it's unchanging and lasts forever. The world doesn't understand that. Paul said it like this. If I had hope in this world only, I'd be a miserable man. And I don't know about you. The longer I live, the longer I live in this world, and I love everybody, and I love this world, but I've got my eyes on the hope of heaven More and more every day. Every day I say, Hey, Lord, come. Any day. Come on, come on, come on. I matter of fact, if they took a bus load up right now, I'd be the first one on. You know, here's the thing, you know, this world is a miserable place. We see in our society, societies at an all or suicides at an all time high, right? Broken people. Anxiety and fear leading a lot of people. How about this? A lot of people put their hope in a political system. Can I tell you something? That will fail you. Ooh, come on, somebody. I don't care what you, you know, you can vote red, blue, purple, whatever, green. It doesn't matter. That will fail you. You can put your hope in the stock market. Hey, listen, one day it will come down, 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 down. You can put your hope in your education. You'll find out in about 100 years from now. They'll be like, I can't believe we taught those people those things. Come on now. And things that the world offers all the time, you know, they just bring people down. But but Christians are peculiar because while we exist and we live within this world and the confines of society, we understand this. My hope is not in anything here. It's beyond. It's in heaven. Amen. I love that. Hope, the expectation of coming good is that this, Jesus Christ is going to come after us one day, uh, and if he doesn't come in my lifetime, then I'll go uh, by the grave and listen when that trumpet sounds. Guess what? I'm going to get up out of that grave, and I'm going to see him, and that's my hope in heaven. We have this hope, and it's Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says this. Beloved, I urge you, so- sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of this of the flesh. So um, as a body, uh You know, we need to do a few things here to to keep unity. First is this, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down. We are to live purely. This is a good bit of scripture right here, all right? And listen, don't get mad at me. I'm the messenger, all right? You can get mad at Peter for writing this. You can get mad at the Holy Spirit for inspiring Peter to write this. Having uh, talked about persecution from the outside, he shifts gears here and he looks at the potential dangers from within. So we know what the world's doing, but listen, there are some potential dangers from us within, some things within us. You know why? Because we're humans. So the devil loves to work uh, in disunity. So to cause grudges, to cause pains, to cause sorrows among believers, to cause church splits. Come on, somebody. To cause unhappy church people. Well, I don't like the way he preaches. I know I am supposed to preach your style anyways. I've been called by God to preach what he tells me to preach. Now you say, boy, that's, that's a pretty bold statement. I'm sorry, he's my boss. It says this, abstain from the passion of the flesh. Abstain means this, to refrain, to keep at bay, to keep from doing. Doing what? Fleshly desires and lust. It's pretty plain, plain spoken, isn't it? Pretty straightforward right there. Here's what I know. Lust is led by carnality and the flesh. Right? That's what happens. My flesh wants to eat cake and ice cream all day long. It's not good for me. Right? And eventually, if I keep eating cake and ice cream, I'm going to be, you know, in bad shape in my health. But here's the thing. Why, why spiritually? Come on, somebody. Why do we spiritually... Allow the devil to come in and cause carnality and our flesh to lead and guide us. So the flesh wants us, uh, wants what it wants. And the the lust and the passions of our flesh lead us to weakness. So this is what happens. Lust is like a fire. Listen, listen to me. Lust is like a fire. The more you feed it, the bigger it gets. You want to stop lust in your life? You want to overcome pornography? You want to overcome things in your life? Stop feeding it. Stop feeding it. And so uh, uh, lust is led by carnality and the flesh. So um, lust will consume as long as you keep feeding it. This is what I know. I have a fire pit, and I love fires. You guys know how I love fires. I like to almost burn down the whole church property. If I keep throwing wood on a fire, it will just keep going and going and going and going. And some of us are walking in things and need, want deliverance from things, stop feeding those things. How do you do that? Hey, maybe get some accountability. Oh, it's quiet in here. Got quiet really fast there. See, here's what happens. This is what I know. Lust starts like this. It's an inappropriate thought. Then it becomes a glance. And then it's a look at a picture. And then it moves to a, a video. And then it becomes a fantasy. And then it comes to us acting On our flesh. Now, this is good teaching right here. This is grounded teaching. This is solid teaching. And this is what happened. Listen, lust drives us to see people as objects. Listen to me. Lust uh, leads us to see people as objects and not love them with the love that Christ has called us to love them in. Uh, I want you for my gratification, not because Jesus Christ loves you. Sorry, I'm coming out swinging a little bit tonight. And these passions and these lusts and desires will make us, ex, uh, will make us exiles and pilgrims. And, and then, what, you know, we're exiles and pilgrims coming to this land, but we'll assimilate to society. And then we'll start doing what they do, and then it leads us down a path of destruction. I've seen it time and time and time again. And Peter says this, distance yourself from those things. Cut them out. Stop them. Get you some accountability. If you're a man or a woman in here, you need some accountability. Listen, you don't have to tell the whole world. You come approach me. Man, we'll get you some accountability. We will help you. We will pray with you. So look at this. Here's the next thing. Which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. So here's the next portion of scriptures. this. And if you need a heading, it's this, Submission to Authority. And I, I, I promise you we're going to cruise through this last little portion pretty fast here. Submission to Authority. Uh, look at this. So be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor, <coughs> president, as supreme, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So, I don't know about you, I think this is a perfect word for right after an election. No, some of you are like, I don't like that word. I don't like that in my life. Here's what I know. We as believers in Christ should walk in purity and humility. So we are to be subject to those in authority over us. That doesn't mean that we can't disagree with them. Some of you are going, oh, praise God, right? doesn't mean we can't disagree with them, but there are time times in, in our Christian walk where the truth of God's word needs to prevail over society or man's ideals or plans, all right? But we are to be examples to the world who is watching us. you know the world's watching us, seeing how we respond and how we do things and if we are actually walking in love? live in humility and purity and and that puts the foolish of our society in silence. Again, I can't say nothing bad about them because they're just so good. Verse 15. Give uh, gives the authority to follow those in command uh, over you by saying God is the God of the universe. It's God's will and and God's saying, "Hey, follow them." This this does not mean follow things that aren't uh, that are against God's god's will but are uh, like sin for instance but but be peaceable when you can and here's the thing it's like a muzzle on an animal the world cannot bring charge against you when you walk upright and purely the world looks at you and go mm. speak the truth but do it in love you know sometimes i see i see pastors sometimes and Man, they just speak the truth, and there's nothing wrong with what they're saying, but they're not saying it in love. And the only bit of scripture that I ever see that says when you're speaking the truth and you're not doing it in love, you are a loud symbol. It's just annoying, right? Sometimes I'm like, man, that that is so rough sometimes. You know you can speak the truth in love. Verse 16 says this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. But living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So grace means this. We, uh, we are free from sin, not free to sin. Let me just put that out there real fast. Grace means that you're free from sin, not to sin. It means uh, it, it's running from sin, not getting as close to sin as possible. If you come to me and say, hey, am I sinning if I do this, this, this? I'm going to be like, hey, you missed the point because you're trying to get too close there. It means running away from it, running away from sin. Honor everyone and honor the emperor. Love the brotherhood. But look at this. That little bit of scripture says, what to God? Fear God. So be in reverence to God. Not, not Don't fear man. Honor them, but don't fear the president. Honor them, but you should love God, honor God. But what sets us, what sets God apart from the others in this list is that we have to fear him. We have to have reverence towards him. Verse 18 says this, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only uh, uh, to the good and gentle, but also to the to the unjust, verse 19, for this is a gra- gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit ha- is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So just to give you a little back reference here, at this time in Rome, Peter is writing this, a majority of Rome's population was slaves, and they were treated less than humans. Many of, many of you may not know that, but there was a majority of the population in Rome were slaves. So Peter is instructing them, hey, not only uh, honor the king, but submit to your masters. Make them think, and you know, when I begin to think about that, it makes me think, how can I gripe about all the politicians in Washington, D.C., when Peter's telling these people, hey, just, just be in submission and honor them and do what they say. And and, and here's the thing, you know, it really kind of gets me, uh, my mind going. So look, verse 21, we'll jump ahead here. I know we're almost done. I promise we're almost done. We're going to go through this last five verses here. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Everyone say he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Oh, Jesus talked a good game. He he kept it clean. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When others went against him, he didn't react. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself uh, to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. I love that. I love that bit of scripture that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and oversee over souls So we are to walk in purity, humility, and we are to walk in conformity, not to man, but to the lamb, Jesus Christ. See, all right. Those are your three things right there. Walk walk in purity, walk in humility, and walk in conformity to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So facing persecution here, the early church believers were not um, left alone. Jesus didn't say, hey, just do this, and you're on your own. But they were given a model to follow, Jesus' example. And Peter's talking about that. He suffered. How many know that Jesus suffered? The Bible says it right there. It says, hey. Uh, he didn't revile against return. He didn't. He didn't give tick for tat. And he, you know, he he just he did what he just trusted the Lord. Here's the thing: Jesus suffered for us, and he left an example that we should follow. I'll give you a quick example here. If it was to snow here in Indiana, I mean, no, it's probably going to snow at some point, right? If it, if if it were to snow, and me and my son Novak went outside and we went to play in the snow, and I said, Hey, Novak. Uh, uh, follow me, and it might be more of a harder thing if he was younger, so imagine him a little bit younger. And I said, follow me, and I began to to make tracks in the snow, and he began to follow me and say, hey, you gotta, it would be hard for him because I have a little bit longer stride than him, right? He's a little bit shorter than me. If he ends up like Wyatt, he's gonna be bigger than me. Um, but imagine him trying to take the same stride that I'm taking as a as a, as a man, and a, you know, a little young kid, Taking a stride. Some of us look at our lives and we say, Man, that's what I feel like. I'm Jesus made these strides, and I feel like I'm trying to follow him, but man, I, I don't have that same stride that he has. But this is amazing. When I look at this verses like what what I just read, and Jesus being uh treated cruelly, wrongly, terribly, um, he didn't a- answer back and say, Hey, f- follow his footsteps. Um I know I can't do that. I can't stay in the stride of what Jesus did. I I do my best, but here's what I know. Here's the good news. If you feel like your stride is a little less, anybody ever feel that way? God, I don't don't know if I can be as kind as you were. I really want to respond in a different way, right? Here's what I know about Jesus. He's not only, um, Jesus is not only our example. He's our enabler. Now, take that same story with me and Novak. Novak trying to take the stride with Dad. What if he said, hey, Dad, I can't do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come back. I'm going to help him. I'm going to pick him up, let him put his foot down, and pick him up again, let him put his foot down. And this is what's so good about the, the good shepherd. He doesn't leave us there. He says, hey, I understand it may seem impossible with you, but listen, if you'll trust me, I will help you take stride after stride after stride. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word. God, I'm, I'm just so grateful for who you are. God, we covered a lot of ground tonight in this chapter, God. Just so many wonderful truths. God, I pray, Lord, that the word that is spoken here in this house, Lord, tonight, Lord, would be ever transformational within us. God, I pray, Lord, your seeds would go forward in, in might and in power tonight, God. Your word does not come back void. God, I pray, Lord, for every person in this house. God, I pray, Lord, you give them strength this week, Lord, that you would be with them.